Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the QL Podcast. I am your host today, the insider to the insiders, Tyler QL, and we have us another couple guests on this week's show. A little bit of different taste as we go into some collegiate hockey later on as Peyton Turnage, Alabama Huntsville's play-by-play broadcaster and Southern hockey fan and penalty box radio correspondent joins me to talk about Alabama Huntsville and what he does with Penalty Box Radio, amongst other things. And a little bit later on after that, I have my good friend Justin Godfrey coming on from Raw Charge on SB Nation and talk about the Tampa Bay Lightning and how they're feeling headed into the playoffs and a little bit of the Syracuse Crunch of the American Hockey League. So certainly stay tuned for that. Before we get to all that, though, make sure you use the hashtag TheCulePodcast when you talk about today's episode. Tweet us at the Kiel Podcast. Got a lot of stuff going on here around here on TKP and maybe an announcement coming up here soon. Uh, maybe a little bit of change here for TKP or a little bit, a lot of excitement going on here around the show and the future. And it's a little bit of a lull, so it's almost the perfect time for something like that. And, you know, something we can't quite discuss yet, but we'll get to that later on. But it's been... A very whirlwind week, and you know, I for myself wrote a pretty nice, I'd like to say a decent piece for the hockey writers this past week. I actually wrote two in a matter of days, and it will lead into my first interview here with Peyton Turnage on how the Alabama Huntsville Chargers, their program was cut a little over a week ago before we had Alex on the show last week. And that was, you know, obviously a big detriment to college hockey. But then just the day, that day when we did the show, they started this GoFundMe page. And the outpouring of, of hope and of support by both alumni, supporters, and even just simple hockey fans was able to save the Chargers program. And they will come back for a 2020-2021 season amongst the possibility of a future plan as well that the school is having. They're having a hockey advisory board. They're putting one together in order to make sure that the program is sufficient and is able to continue on past the upcoming season. So the fun-loving support of Chargers Faithful has been able to keep the program around for another year. But we'll get into more of that when we bring Peyton on here in just a few minutes. But obviously there is some good news, though, in the hockey landscape, in particular in junior hockey. We remember, of course, we talked about a little a few weeks ago with Tate Harris on how that the league had already came out, David Branch coming out and saying that the OHL, the Ontario Hockey League, was planning to start on time. And now, just actually earlier today, Canadian Press posted that the QMJHL plans to return October 1st and a return with, quote, a certain percentage of of spectators as league commissioner Gillis Corteau was talking in a media press conference, if you will, or an over the phone press conference conference call, excuse me. They were that the league is planning to have a 68 game season with a certain percentage of spectators in the crowd. And, you know, the junior ranks usually start in late September. So it would be a later start by CHL standards. However, that said, gives all the leagues a little bit more time to get a better grasp on what the situation is with social distancing and, of course, you know, government health boards see, you know, what they need to do to ensure the safety of not just the players and the staff of the teams, but also fans if they were to have some. And 
you know, obviously you have to follow the public health directives and whatnot in order to make sure that you can come back and play. And the biggest thing, and we'll talk about this a little bit more too, when we talked with Justin Godfrey later about the AHL and how, what they needed to come back. And because obviously a lot of those teams in minor league hockey, their money is based on ticket revenue. And the junior hockey ranks is similar to that as well, because it's not like the olden days where teams would just own junior teams, NHL clubs at least. I remember how the Boston Bruins were big proponents of the Oshawa Generals and and how the Montreal Canadiens pretty much purchased the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League to make sure that their talent would go through the Quebec junior ranks. And which, by the way, of course, yesterday, QMJHL has a new logo. It's the exact same thing. So it's not really that much different, but I guess that is some news. And, you know, it's, it's, pretty, it's good to see, though, good to hear that the QMJHL is really starting to finalize a plan of coming back this season because the last thing you want, especially with junior hockey, is to have players not be able to play. And now we kind of just await to see what the Western Hockey League says because the OHLs came out and said they're, they're going to try to play on time. QMJHL said it's going to be a late start, but, you know, maybe a week or so later than they usually would. And now we're just waiting on the Western Hockey League to complete the trifecta that is the Canadian Hockey League to see where this league as a whole, the country as a whole, moves forward. North America Junior Hockey moves forward. Obviously, there's so many other leagues. And, of course, the Western States Hockey League a couple weeks ago said that they're going to cease operations or at least forego the upcoming 2020-2021 season with hopes of returning the following year in the fall of 2021. And right now, it's kind of just waiting to see, all right, who's going to play? Who's going to be out? You know, it's and obviously there'll be some teams that won't be able to play just because they know that they're going to lose so much money that it's actually going to hurt the franchise rather than actually playing, thinking that will help them. Now, that said, if there is an ability to have fans, even if it's a half-filled bowl, you're going to be able to make more money than you would be not playing. So it's really a, you know, a wondering scenario on finances. Unfortunately, I don't have the budgets for each and every junior hockey team. So I couldn't tell you, you know, which team has a better chance of playing next year, which team has a better chance of you know, making it through the year, which team has a worse of a chance or more of a chance, if you will, that if they do play, if they do try to participate, there'll be such a loss that the franchise will be turned nothing by the end of the year. I don't know that, but it's good that people are making strides. Obviously, we're still waiting here in the United States to see what the plan is for NCAA hockey, U Sports as well up in Canada, what the collegiate game, the university game will look like next season. Obviously, there's a lot of talks about a late start and everyone's just kind of sitting on pins and needles right now waiting to hear what the plan is for the upcoming season. And with that, it's a good way to kind of segue in to my interview with Peyton Turnage. Peyton a guy that's only been with UAH Alabama Huntsville for a little over a year now, but has really started to make his way in the NCAA game, gained a lot of respect from his peers and colleagues, and has been doing this for a little bit, and it's kind of, a, according to him, an unlikely story. And that interview will be next here on the Kiel Podcast. And now joining us from the South, he is a member of Penalty Box Radio, 
Also does play-by-play for Vanderbilt Hockey, as well as play-by-play broadcasting for Alabama Huntsville. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome our good friend Peyton Turnage. Peyton, how are you doing today, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. It's been it's been a it's been a year so far. It has been a year so far, hasn't it? This last week has been a heck of a year, man. I'm telling you. It's I I saw a couple tweets today. It's like, yeah, this week's been this week's been quite the year, and I'm just like, yeah, it feels like it. And we're not, and we are just hitting the halfway mark of 2020, and it feels like it's probably been three years. I'm pretty sure 2015 was shorter than this. Way shorter for sure. Uh, I'm just glad that we are meeting under much better circumstances, which of course I know we'll get to here in a bit. Yes, and of course that was the big news last week, but. I mean, it was. I mean, where were you, Peyton, when when the news came down, couple like a week and a half ago now, a couple weeks actually? Where were you when you heard the news initially that Alabama Huntsville's hockey program was being cut, amongst other things at the university? Well, uh, it's funny because the day before, I mean, I, I recently lost my job in Nashville, and the day before, I moved out of Nashville, went back home. I've been with my folks in the Boot Hill, Missouri, for the last little bit. And then that morning, um, I came down with a pretty good little sickness. And so the UAH news just kind of piled on top of all that. So it's like, okay, what other bad news do you have for me? But, uh, I mean, yeah, when, um, when the news came down, I just talked with one of my buddies in Nashville, um, Jordan Simony, who's the voice of MTSU hockey. And I was talking about, hey, you know, I wish I, w- I could have broadcasted a few games for uh, when Josh Kessner was playing for the Chargers. Now he's the ECHL MVP. Yep. And then not even maybe a full hour later, he sent me a copy of the tweet um, saying that UAH hockey had been let go. And I mean, obviously it was very shocking and, and very disappointing, especially um, when earlier that week, the official UAH hockey page had released its its um, incoming freshman for the season. So just very sudden and very shocking for sure. Yeah, that, you know, and I remember some people said that it's like, man, how could this have happened after you do something? And and kind of with what I do at Davenport, working with the sports information department, you learn that no matter what you're doing, you continue to work as if you're going to continue on no matter how it works, no matter if, you know, if there is an impending cloud of, you know, possible cutting of a program, you still work. And that's why Alabama hunts. That's why it came up as, I guess, a big thing for, you know, the program was that, they thought, hey, maybe we'll still go on. But then just like that, that's all it takes is one quick decision. And it just, it was a bummer because with the addition of Long Island, you would think, hey, you know, the college hockey is continuing to grow, but it seemed like a detriment to a program like Alabama Huntsville just to kind of get tossed out of thin air. Well, not only that, but for the entire Southern region, I mean, you look at a map of college hockey in the United States and I mean the Southeast and there's a lot of the Midwest too. That's just a, just a barren land of nothingness. And so if you cut UAH out of it, I mean, there's absolutely no college hockey in the South whatsoever. And, you know, a lot of locals, especially in Huntsville and in Nashville that are developing, they need to have a place they can go to um, if they want to play D one hockey. And um, you, you saw that with the, community in Huntsville. There were so many people there saying, yeah, we have the havoc, but we just can't imagine not having UAA chalky. And the funny part is, is that this is a program 
that used to be when back when Division Two had or NCAA sponsored Division Two hockey, mm-hmm. and that is where they won. I believe it was a pair of national championships in the mid to late '90s, and then kind of fell dormant a little bit when they went to the Division One level. Then had a couple of good years in the late two thousands, uh, and then including a twenty ten birth when Cam Talbot, now the Calgary Flames, was the goaltender for that hockey club, and. You know, that was kind of like, hey, maybe this program's resurging, and then it just kind of took a dip. And, and that's just the tough part, though, Peyton. That, that is one, I think, kind of knock on the Chargers program. That is, is that is extremely tough to recruit high-end talent when not just the team is kind of struggling at times, but some people don't see Alabama-Huntsville as a dominant program. And that's kind of, you know, when you're going up against schools, like, you know, trying to get players from, like, the likes of Boston University and Michigan and Minnesota, it's, it's tough to it's a tough sell for a lot of these prospects. And it's, it's just tough from just an awareness standpoint. I mean, there's still a lot of people, I mean, even in the South that don't even realize that Alabama Huntsville has a a D one program. There may be people that don't even know that Alabama Huntsville is even a school. So I think there's just a lot that needs to be done to build up the notoriety of this program and, and show that, you know, there is college hockey in the South and not only that it's there, it works. And here is where people saw that it worked. All of a sudden, I, I'm looking through my Twitter feed, and I see a GoFundMe page to save the team. And I, you know, I, I'll be honest, at first glance, Peyton, I was, I was a little skeptic. Because, I was too, for sure. Be, because you see so many of them like, oh, man, because I've seen so many pro teams as well. Hey, GoFundMe to raise money for traveling and whatnot. And it's like, oh, you know, this is a last-ditch effort. But then... You know, even Cam Talbot came out. That's when Talbot really came to to the forefront saying, hey, guys, let's save this program. And it just seemed like after Talbot gave his thumb of approval and then John Butchergross on Twitter came out and said, try to save UAH. And I'm like, all right, well, the wheels are starting to roll here. And it just continued and continued to build. And next thing you know, the money is starting to come in for the program. It was strange at first because, you, I mean, you think about the logistics of it. UAH is a degree-granting institution. Education definitely comes first um, on all counts. And then you have such a crippling um, thing with this coronavirus and how it's affected things economically. And, of course, hockey you know, takes up so much money. And of course, it would be on the chopping block. And, and UAH's president, um, you know, he's only been around for a year. And, and all he's thinking about is education. And you can't blame the guy. And so when the when there were talks of a possible fundraiser, it's kind of like, you know, this guy's this guy and the university, they've made up their mind. You know, how is how is something like this going to turn the tide? But it didn't take long at all. You, you know, they had barely people think it's five days. It was barely four days to do all this, to raise five hundred thousand dollars and then have big time boosters come up with the other five thousand. Uh, but I remember. It got pretty late on Tuesday, and it was already up to 150,000. I thought, wow, I mean, this is really gaining steam. We might have a, a chance here. And of course, I donated a little bit, and I thought, man, if we can get to 250,000 by the halfway mark, if everybody that's already donated, if they can just do it one more time, we're there. And then, like you said, um, it took, you know, around that time is when people like, uh, John Butcher Gross, Patrick Kane, um, even Biz Nasty, the Spitting Chicklets guys, uh, Scott Lachlan and Gord Stelic of NHL Radio. Uh, there are countless others that reached out, and it, it just blew up like 
wildfire, especially in the last day. I mean, not only did they reach the 500,000 mark, they just blew it away. I mean, they got to about, I think it was 520 on the, on the GoFundMe page and another 20,000 on, um, on t-shirt sales. And I was looking through on the donations and of course, Cam Talbot was a big one, but I, I found a couple of names that stuck out to me. There was uh, Mark Recchi oh, and yeah. then Brian Burke chipped in some money too. Um, you also had Dylan Strom and Chris Mason too. So, um, you know, countless thank yous go out to those guys. And of course, everyone that donated, there were just so many people and it was very great to see not only the Huntsville community, but the overall hockey community come together for this program. And it's so strange, by the way, when you talk about Alabama Huntsville president, that is Dr. Darren Dawson for those that are keeping track, but it's, it's so interesting because, you know, and it wasn't just, you know, the big, you know, $5,000 donations. These were like, if you look at the list, people just saying, Hey, let's get hockey. And you know, a simple 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 25 bucks. I donated a little bit of what I had. And it was, you know, it's, it's something you want to help out because you don't want to, you don't want to stop the growth of hockey. And yeah, I know they, you know how the people, how they, they compliment the predators for being a big promoter of hockey in the South and Tampa and such, but like having college hockey down there and you're starting to see it to a little bit of the club, a club level too. And I'm sure you see that a lot yourself, mm-hmm. Peyton with schools like the sec, the sec hockey conference down there. It's starting to grow a little bit more that even Georgia is building a nice rink, as far as I know, at least that was the plan. I, I don't know where the plans are right now, but they put $34 million into a new rink, which could be signs for a possible Division One team down there. It's so great to see these guys get involved to help this team. And, and of course, they met it at, I believe I saw the announcement at around, I think it was noon Central Time or 1 Eastern Time that I saw the tweet that they hit the 500,000 mark. And that is where, you know, it was like, at that point, I feel like, I don't know, was it joy or was it instant? Was it relief? What was it, Peyton, at least for you? It was kind of all the above, really. Um, once, you know, once the day started on Friday and I saw that we were getting pretty close, I think we're about 480, I knew we were going to hit it. It was, you know, we, we could really do it. I was just astonished that they went even farther beyond that. People saw, oh, you know, they've reached their goal. Well, I'm still going to contribute anyway. And, uh, yeah, it was happiness and relief, but at the same time, you know, Dr. Dawson still could have said, no, I mean, we still have to, to go with this, but I give him credit. It didn't take him long at all to say, Hey, you guys put in the effort. You did it. We're going to play on this year. And I, I immediately sent a tech uh, or a tweet to him and the, uh, the athletic director, Kate Smith, just simply telling them, thank you. And, and Tyler, I appreciate your donation as well, but I didn't know about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 okay. I didn't want to brag about it, but I'm like, I felt like I felt like I had to do something. Cause it was the strangest thing. Cause I, at that time with my work with the hockey writers, I wrote an article Thursday night and the big two things were I'm like, may as well re- quickly recap the whole Alabama Huntsville deal. And then log Island hiring their new coach in Brett Riley. And I remember I got posted early Friday morning and I retweeted it saying, I have never been so excited to write a, something along. I'm paraphrasing because I don't have the tweet in front of me, but I pretty much said I've never been so happy to write an article that counters my own because I knew when that my article went live that we that I was going to have to write another one later that day because they were going to hit it. And of course, you know, you, you talk about the 500 grand being important, but that's only half. Then you have two huge donations, 125,000 each from former players Tasso Sofakaitis and Sheldon Wolitsky. I hope I said that right. Former, Sounds right. 
former guys that played four years at Alabama Huntsville are actually part of that 96 national championship team, both all Americans and both doing very well in the business world, well enough to help out their former program. So thank you to those two guys for sure. And, and that is the one thing I don't think people realize. And I mentioned it in my post about how or why Alabama Huntsville was cut. Alabama Huntsville, given their location, has one of the biggest travel budgets or travel budgets needed playing in the WCHA because you have to go not just up to Minnesota and you know that part of the plains. You will have to go up to Alaska, and obviously mm-hmm. this is the last season, but the travel transportation budget for the Chargers, it ain't cheap. That's for sure. Absolutely not, and I haven't had a chance to see what exactly you know those figures total out to be. But I got to think you know it's greater than any program besides the Alaska teams for sure. Um, and it can be very tough on the guys. It's it's a big time bonding experience for the boys that when they go on those big trips. But it, obviously, it's very taxing economically, and I'm sure it is physically as well. And that's why it's kind of interesting to look at the possible future. Cause obviously, you know, it's like, Oh yes, great. We got the program for another year, but they need the future and the future for the WCHA is coming to an end next season. And so that opens up, you know, a world of possibilities or more or less, you know, a world of questions for Alabama Huntsville. Mm-hmm. And I remember I read a, read an interview that Mike Corbett did with Adam Odon of college hockey news right after he was fired and how he, or not fired, excuse me, when the program was cut and inevitably his re- release from his position, I don't know what the what that entitles now with the program back, but he talked about how the team was going, if they were able to get a commitment from the university, that they were going to make a bid into the C- Central Collegiate Hockey Association, the new CCHA, and they would be the eighth team, which would balance out that conference's schedule. And I remember thinking, I'm like, well, that would have been great, but now they have it. Do you think if there's enough of a you know commitment financially from the team and if the plan works for the school itself, do you see Alabama Huntsville jumping into that CCHA? A lot is going to ride on this new advisory committee that uh, the university wants to help establish. And uh, it's going to be made up of local business leaders and, and people that are very savvy with marketing to try to um, keep the long-term um, sustainability. And so I think um, a lot, if not everything, is going to ride on that. And I think a lot's going to depend on how things go this season. I'm not sure how long the CCHA is going to give them, but uh, there's there's definitely a lot that's going to be riding on that new advisory committee. But I have confidence that um, the committee will be strong and they'll come up with a plan to not only uh, make the hockey successful, but to, but to keep the funds going on a long-term basis. And I think the CCHA is the is the best fit. You know, those are teams that they're familiar with, and uh, you know, to my best knowledge, that's those are the teams that are closest to Alabama Huntsville. And you know, when I talk to people that are associated with Bowling Green and, and Ferris State and places like that, they like they actually like coming down to Alabama Huntsville. It's it's one of their most fun trips. So hopefully, the notoriety is there, and then hopefully the uh, infrastructure is is there as well to ensure or to ensure um, long-term sustainability. Uh, if there's not, then I don't think the team can last very long at all as, as an independent club. Not at all. Yeah. They, that's where they almost did get shut down during, I think it was 2012 when 
there just was not enough funding and the team wasn't independent. So it's tough for them to get games. And it's a little different for a school like Arizona state because it's Arizona state. It's a division one yeah. school. And that, that team that plays on the football field, they make a lot of money to give to everyone else. That's why that program down there for the hockey team, at least is able to really be very sufficient. And I took a quick look at the numbers right now. It's just under 540,000 raised on the GoFundMe alone. And I think the t-shirt sales were close to 35,000 last time I checked. So Obviously, people still donating because, hey, if any way they can help to continue to build the program, why not? And it's funny you mentioned, Peyton, the the trip. You know, everyone likes going down to Huntsville because personally, I never understood why people like I get it. You know, the winters up here, even up in Big Rapids, is actually worse than down here in Grand Rapids. I never understood why people like, oh, my gosh, we need to go to the warm place, go to somewhere warm. It's so cold up here. I never liked it. But then again, I went to Huntsville my freshman year at Davenport. I was our, we had a weekend showcase down there, played like Ole Miss, Alabama, their D3 teams. And it was September in Alabama. And we had to wear suits. <laughs> Let me tell you, we were, we were warmed up before we got to the rink. We didn't need oh, to. Oh, sure. Oh, it was for, for us northern kids. It was. That was a tough trip, but I can see when you're going down there in like January, you know, when it's freezing cold up here and 10 feet of snow, I can maybe get why people like to go into a little bit of a warmer city in like Huntsville, Alabama. Well, it's got the Southern charm too. What's not to love? Great food, great people. Uh, that was my, also my first Waffle House experience down there as well. That we, right next to our hotel, we had the Southern, we had it perfectly set up. We had our hotel right next to that was the Waffle House. On the other side was Popeye's Chicken. So we had breakfast and lunch right there, right set. (laughs) That's what, um, you know, I've only been involved with the UH program for about one and a half seasons. And so my next goal, uh, beginning next season is hopefully hit up some of the mom and pop establishments for sure. Yeah. I'm sure there's plenty of them. Oh my God. I'm sure. And and that that is the one thing because I've been to, you know in Alabama and Mississippi around there and driven through and you do see a lot of those. I mean you see your you know your McDonald's and whatnot, but you see all these random you know these. You know I always tell people the best place to get food is find a barbecue with a barbecue pit in the parking lot. That's oh the, absolutely that's the best place to get it. Now your stomach may disagree with you the next morning, but that time you're eating it, it's great. That's what you call finger licking good, man. Yeah, and of course nowadays you do finger licking and you get frowned upon. So I guess I don't know what I don't know what to think. Anymore. Oh, that's true. That's true. I think um, bring your mask. Exactly. Yeah, bring your mask and then just you know make sure you're six feet away when you take it off or whatnot. But you know it's it'll be an interesting year next season, Peyton, and we're really excited to see what goes. Even though there have been a few players that have already decommitted just because of the uncertainty, you know, with the program and from a former player, I understand it. It is a bummer for the team, but. Do you think that with this outpouring of, you know, from from fans and supporters and alumni alike, do you think that actually may help the Chargers, you know, be able to spot some talent? Say, hey, guys, look at the support we're having from, you know, these fans. They the heck they saved the program, you know, definitely come here because we want to build something. Do you think that actually could be a recruitment tactic here by UAH? Hopefully so. I think um, you know a lot's going to be riding on next season. Hopefully they get more than just two wins. Uh, hopefully that maybe a lot more than that. Maybe a playoff berth. Um, and I think too you're going to a lot's going to depend on the incoming freshman class and what they do and what they're able to pass on to who else may want to come in. Um, I look at a guy like Ayo Adenaye. Hopefully I got that name right. Um, he's a kid from Columbus. He's very. Uh, very tall, he's six four, one ninety, and Lord knows he's about to grow into a very large body as a defenseman. And uh, a lot of people are comparing him to Seth Jones 
And then you got a couple of guys, uh, Jared White and William Zapernick from Edmonton. Uh, I think they were featured in a Sportsnet story maybe about a month ago about yeah. how they've been um, keeping keeping up their skills during the pandemic. But we got those guys coming in. There, and there's a small handful of others. But, um, you know, again, it's just really going to depend on how next season goes. Um, you know, that's going to really determine where things are, especially from a morale standpoint. Yeah, absolutely. You always, and, you know, if the better the program, the better talent that comes in. But one guy that you – you cannot say, if you look at the goals against average, that's not fair to him. But my goodness, did Mark Sinclair have himself a workload this season? I think he faced, what, the most shots and the most minutes in anyone in college hockey. I mean, it's a good thing that he's got another year left of eligibility because he'll be able to help with his veteran presence, able to help the youngsters. But give UAH another year of solid goaltending because I remember I was able to do one of the games when Alabama Huntsville came up and played Ferris. And I almost wondered, I'm like, how in the world are you going to beat this guy? Just because he's so consistent, even when the team around him gets a little bit, you know, frazzed up from time to time. He was incredible. And I made sure anytime I talked to Coach Corbett that we always brought up Mark Sinclair because most times he did something um, significant that night. Uh, he's been incredible. He stood on his head. And, and you're correct. The numbers aren't in his favor. But if you watch him play on a night out, night in night out basis you get what he's made of and i think he's got a very bright future ahead of him if he really keeps in it and a lot of these performances too from the past season a lot of times he was uh banged up he wasn't even playing 100 percent healthy there were some times he played sick so um you know i give him credit he stood in there and and had many spectacular performances and i hope he does come back for his what i believe is his senior season coming up um you know the team's really going to need him um, yeah, he, he's just been flat out incredible. I mean, there's not, not much else you can say about the guy. Yeah. And I, and I believe, you know, cause the biggest thing with Alabama Huntsville has been just trying to keep the program alive that maybe the coaching staff has not been able to really focus on the recruiting as much. And hopefully that moves forward. And, you know, you talk about watching the games and whatnot, Peyton, and you know, that's the best part about having flow hockey. Cause that is probably, I would say the biggest college hockey streaming service out there. Because all the leagues, except for the ECAC, have a connection with flow hockey. And, of course, that's how you're able to catch your Alabama-Huntsville games. And I do remember one game, Peyton. i got to bring this up. I can't remember the day. <laughs> but I remember seeing it on YouTube because my good buddy, well, I'd say good buddy because he's been on the show a couple times. Steve Dangle even liked it. Okay. And this, yeah. is, what, this is what turned me turned me on to, uh, to seeing, watching, and listening to you, Peyton, is I remember it was a game down in Huntsville, of course, and let's just say this, Huntsville Havoc's Arena, um, Vaughn... I know oh, where you're going with this. Um, oh, God. <laughs> is, is it Vaughn, Vaughn Braun, right? I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Yes, sir. Yes. Vaughn Braun yes. Arena. And, you know, it's not the not the newest rink, you know? It's it's one of those, you know, it's got some years on it, but it builds its character, right? I mean, that's how you'd probably describe this arena. Because we'd been... Uh, it's, it's definitely got some years on it, some tread taken off the tires. Yeah, because I forget how many different teams <laughs> have been through there and how many different leagues. I think they even had a CHL, a Central Hockey League team there at one point. But, you know, with that, you know, the, you know maybe the facilities aren't the best. Take me back to this game where I can't even remember who the Chargers played, but I remember the call when for some reason the glass decided to fight back against the game. Weird bounce away from Sinclair! Chargers! Just able to keep away from the front of the net, but Newton went crashing hard into the goalpost. He's back on his feet, thankfully, and dumped in left side by Isaac. These boards and glass are not to be trusted. 
It's worse than Joe Lewis Arena, which doesn't even exist anymore. Dumped in left side by Midgey. That's a weird bounce off the glass, too. Here's Isaac back through center ice. Can we get some new glass in this building, folks? Driscoll reverses away from Jeffers. I'm outraged. Here come the Chargers back on their own end. Can you take me back to what happened? And your reaction to it was just was absolutely perfect for how I the game think went. It was, I think it was against Bemidji, I want to say. I'm maybe the second night. And every now and then, you know, the puck gets dumped in. You see Mark Sinclair go behind the net anticipating it. And all of a sudden, it'll just spring out toward the front of the net. And um, there was a sequence in that game against Bemidji where that happened maybe four times in 30 seconds. And I just couldn't take it anymore. And I think I'd called a couple of strange bounces. And I think it went back towards Sinclair and it hopped away again. And finally, I just said, that's a weird bounce, too. <laughs> and you're like, I'm out. I'm outraged. I'm enraged. <laughs> and I was just, yes, so these boards and glass are not to be trusted. The, the, OK, has has it ever just just completely kicked off the dasher at any point? Like we're at the bottom, the kick play just ring around and just kick right out in front. Oh, plenty of times. It, it happened during that sequence, too. Oh, you just, anytime it gets dumped in, you just never know what's going to happen. You cannot depend on the boards or the glass stanchions or or anything. It's going more than likely going to take a weird bounce. And, and that night it just culminated and I'd had enough. And I'm glad you brought up Steve Dangle because I've been a fan of him since year one of him making videos. And he might've been a little bit of inspiration for that rant for sure. I, you know, it's funny cause we've had him on a couple of times or actually it was really early on in our show's history. And I say history like, you know, two years, but whatever. Um, But he (laughs) he is I've never told this to him because it's weird to say it while you're doing an interview with him. But I I mean, he was the reason kind of why we started doing the podcast and whatnot, just because like, hey, you know, it it can't be that difficult. Right. And, you know, I mean, we're at this point now and now he's a superstar up there in Toronto, even though I still go up to people and I say, oh, yeah, I actually the funny story. We were at my wife and I were in Toronto because we at least visit, at least try to visit once a year and hopefully now the borders open up soon so we can go again. And I we went to a No Frills, which is one of the grocery stores up there in Ontario. Mm-hmm. And I'm wearing an LFR shirt. I think it was LFR season 10 because that was the first season I really got into Dangle. And the funniest thing happened. I'm walking through and I'm looking for white cheddar mac and cheese. I remember they talked about it on their podcast one of the times. And I'm like, all right, we got to go up there and try President's Choice Macaroni and Cheese. And we're like, okay, we got to find it. We got to find it. And all of a sudden, I look, and there's just this one guy in an apron, clearly a, an employee, staring at me from across, like, four aisles. And, I'm, and I see him, and then we, like, lock eyes, and I looked at my shirt, and he was like, ah. I'm like, all right, LFR fan. And, and I remember I went up to him, and he's like, hey, I'm looking for white cheddar mac and cheese. And it's like, say no more. And he took me right to it. And I'm like, it's funny because like a lot of people know Steve Dangle, but then not a lot of people know who Steve Dangle is. It's it's I think now that he's on TV now up there a lot more. I think he's getting a little bit more of attraction, but you know he's it's so funny to listen to. Him. I mean, you know, doing all of his because just how he rants and and I'm like, man, it, it's almost like my wife almost thought the first time I listened to his one of his videos, he's like, is that you screaming into your phone? And I'm like, no, that's that's some other Leafs fan. <laughs> Well, he, you know, you think about the hockey podcast, uh, 31 Thoughts, Spitting Chicklets, and and all the others, Puck Soup. But I think the Steve Dangle podcast is the gold standard for hockey podcast. 
And I was fortunate enough that I actually got to meet him, Adam and Jesse, when they came down to Nashville for the Stanley Cup finals. I mean, you'll you'll never meet a, a nicer guy. And and obviously Adam and Jesse were great too. Were were you in the in their vlog they did when they came down here? Yeah. Oh my um, gosh. It's funny because like I saw your face and now I think about it. I'm like, I think I saw you in there. Yeah, I was looking like a moron in my junior predators jersey. But hey. uh, yeah, I got to hang out with him a little bit and drank uh, coffee beer and watched him play ping pong for a while. So oh, it was it was a fun night. I will say this that it's unfortunately the well one, actually that's funny because that trip they took got me into Airbnb and I've never been in a hotel since. Um, actually, except for, uh, except for the wedding night, but that's, you know, that's cause you have to, but I've never, thanks to that. I can never have anything that's Nashville hot until I go to Nashville, you know, cause like there's all like, you go to Buffalo Wild Wings, like, Oh, Nashville hot. And I'm like, I need to go down to Broadway, listen to some, you know, some no name band with some steel guitar. That'll probably never see the light of day on a radio station while having hot chicken. I feel like I got to have that whole experience in order to actually properly eat this hot chicken. At least once. Um, you know, for me, having lived there for a little bit and been a Tennessee native, and obviously I have to think that some of that stuff is overrated. I mean, it was incredible when I first discovered it. But, uh, yeah, you, you got to have the, the at least the, the Broadway experience once in your life, too. And, and that's what's funny. Like I've, and I've interviewed so many broadcasters and so many people that have come that have been through Grand Rapids and everyone's like, Oh, it's a great HL town. It's so wonderful. It's got this and that. And I'm like, I've been here my whole life. What's so special about it. <laughs> and I, I interviewed Todd Crocker when the Marlies came to play the Griffins, him and I did a interview during morning skate and, and he talked about how, Oh man, I love the show. Or I love the city. You can walk to the rink. And I'm like, man, I'm like, you make it sound like it's this amazing city. I make you live in Toronto. I mean, that's better than this, right? And he's like, well, it's quieter. And I'm like, oh, well, that, that's true. Yeah, I feel like Toronto would be a little bit, I mean, I haven't been there yet, but uh, might be a little uh, overwhelming in a sense. I, you know, it's funny. I never felt uncomfortable there. Like, you know, my wife, first time she went there, because she, she'd been to Chicago, so she kind of has the idea, but it's like, I never felt out of place because it's such a big city and it's so packed. And of course I knew where I was going just because I'd been there when I was a kid. So now when I go there, it's like, Oh yeah, let's go down to the Jays game. We'll walk down to the sky dome and look at the CN tower because mother of goodness, it's overpriced to go up and stare at a stare at a city for half an hour. <laughs> I will say this Peyton, you got to do it at least once though. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I, I want to do it as soon as the, or as soon as I can after the pandemic is over, I'd love to, walk around, go to the hockey hall of fame. I feel like I'd probably be just right there at home. So that is, so that's kind of interesting because that's where I got my passion for broadcasting because inside the hockey hall of fame, there's this interactive area and up top above, like where you can shoot or play goalie or whatever. There's like a broadcast booth and they can let you select moments and recreate, you know, do the broadcast for like great moments in hockey history, you know, from miracle on ice, 72 summit series, 87 Canada cup, whatnot. And I remember I, I was I visited there, I think, first when I was nine. I went to my mom, like, hey, mom, if I don't make it in hockey playing, because at that time I thought I was cat's meow, I was going to make the NHL and whatever. <laughs> but I said, I'm like, I should broadcast because that's fun. And she's like, oh, yeah. And I'm like, yeah. And I've then now here I am. Look at that. You know, go figure. You made it, man. 
So, Peyton, I'm curious how did how did you get into broadcasting? I guess how did you get into hockey as well? How did that kind of correlate to where you are now here with Alabama Huntsville? Wanting to broadcast came at a very young age. You're gonna find it just absolutely hilarious. It started probably around age four or five, and uh, that's when NASCAR was on ESPN. Heck yeah, Bob Jenkins and. Ned Jarrett and Benny Parsons, and I would push my little toy NASCAR Hot Wheels around pretending I was them. And uh, there was something about, I mean, Bob Jenkins is my number one inspiration to get into. And there's just something about the way that he was able to broadcast so professionally. And um, I don't know, there was just something about it that just made me want to do it. And then around age 10, almost 11, I went to my first Nashville Predators game. My dad took me on uh, St. Patty's Day. 2004 and if you think about the year that happened uh that was before the lockout and the game ended in a tie and that was the first year they made the playoffs too the preds yes yes that too uh obviously i didn't know that ties were a thing so overtime comes to an end and everybody starts leaving and i thought that's it but I could have been sorely disappointed but all it did was make me want more it made me want to see more and, and get to know the game a lot better. So I played the hockey video games a lot, I had ESPN, NHL 2K5, and then NHL 06. And it made me just want to get to know everybody. And it's just snowballed into oblivion. <laughs> it's like uh, it's like my dad kind of created a monster. But um, and then, so I always wanted to do hockey play-by-play. I would always practice if I was playing the video games or I practice if I was watching on TV. And then around 2013 is when I met Justin Bradford, who's the head of penalty box radio. Right. And I just decided to make a two hour trip down to Nashville and go watch Vanderbilt hockey randomly. And I met him down there and just said, Hey, uh, you know, if you, if you need anybody to fill in on play by play, I'm here. And just, I'm sure Oh yeah, I can, here. I can do this stuff. It can't be that hard. Right. I'm sure he was like, oh, yeah, all right, whatever, kid. And then a year later, the Nashville Junior Predators under-20 team came to town, and uh, Penny Box Radio had secured the broadcasting rights for them, and they were busy with a tournament, a college tournament going on at the what was then the new Fort Ice Center in Antioch, and they needed somebody to come in for the Junior Preds. And Justin said, well, I know a guy, and messaged me on Twitter and before then, we had interacted, and I kind of reminded him, like, hey, if you need help this season, let me know. He said, okay, that sounds great. Just just send me a tape. And I said, ah, you don't need that. I'm good. <laughs> so he definitely took a leap of faith with me, for sure. And that's like a rare moment of hubris for me. I'm usually not that quite that confident. You, you know, I'm not saying it's the same story, but it's kind of at least the way I got my start with Davenport. I just came back because I was playing senior A up in Canada. I lived in a very small town in Ontario, which I got to live my dream for a little bit of living in Canada, which I would never would never pass up. I would definitely do it all over again. Hopefully, I would actually make some more money, but that's neither here nor there. You lived where they filmed Letterkenny. I lived about actually about 35 minutes from there. It, that's it's based on Listowel, Ontario, which is funny because my the, our D three coach here at Davenport, he actually played for the Cyclones, so it's a little bit of a small world. And trust me, it's so small that um, that it's it says there's 1,200 people in town, but I can tell you right now, I met all of them in the first two days I was there. 
<laughs> and I can tell you it's less than 1200, but, but how I got my start. So I come back and I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I realized that I wasn't going to make it playing hockey anymore. I mean, senior league was probably my, my peak, if you will. I played a little bit in the fed, but that's nothing to brag about these days. And I, remember I just, I was doing a game, a public address for a Davenport game. And I saw that they had a camera up there, but no broadcaster. I'm just like, Hmm. And I'd still some friends that worked at the university. So I call them up and I say, Hey, you know, who does the broadcasting for Davenport? It's like, well, Thomas does, but Thomas only does our division one teams. You know, he could use a color guy too. And he's like, yeah, but you know, how about D2 and D3? Do they play by play guys? Like, well, no, not really. And I'm like, well, I'd love to do it. And that got me together with Ryan Thompson and he said, well, if we really can't pay you right now with our budget, but you know, and I told him like, listen, I've never done this before professionally. You shouldn't be paying me anything. And, and now it's turned into where I was the media relations last year with the all four teams. So I could, I'd love to say it's an overnight store or an overnight sensation, but it's really not. It's fun though. I love, I love doing it. And that's why, I mean, if I didn't love the game, I don't, I mean, you probably can attest to this too, Peyton, is that we wouldn't do this if we didn't love the game. Absolutely. I would come down and do UAH games, even if they just paid me an ice cream cone. Um, well, it's so I hot just, down there. Hopefully they give you ice cream to something to cool you off. Jeez. <laughs> well, it's definitely not uh, hot when I'm going down there to do hockey. That's for sure. It, it definitely cools down quite a bit. Um, but man, I've just been so lucky and blessed to, to do this. And I really do love the game. And, and I tell people when you, when you're, broadcasting hockey there's always something to look out for the game's always flowing there's you know a hit a save a great shot there's always something to look out for that i don't think you get with other sports yeah it's it's a great it's a great feeling it's like i've done multiple sports and yeah i like doing it i like i then again uh, people like to say i like to hear myself talk which i mean yeah probably i mean they're not wrong but it's it's fun to you know, just to be able to watch, you know, do your sport and something you're passionate about. And it takes me to my, my little, my little funny story here and it involves Harrison Watt up here at Ferris. So do you remember oh, that guy? Yeah, that guy. <laughs> He's only been on my show like four times, but you know, that guy. So do you remember the day that you did your first game for Alabama Huntsville? Well, so I met Harrison when I, um, I was coming in the following weekend. So I went to go watch the the guy that was there then uh, Zachary Bryan who I got to admit did a fantastic job at the time he was with UAH but um you know Harrison's probably not going to be very happy with me but I barely remember meeting him during that uh while I was shadowing but uh but yeah and then the following weekend's my first time with against uh Alaska Anchorage which I thought was going so well I didn't know that I was speaking so loud that I was uh maxing out the mic that, but, uh, yeah, it was uh, quite a thrill to, to get in there for sure. Yeah. That's one thing I've learned. Cause I have my own mixer and everything now that I'm, I've learned to make sure I tone it down. Cause I know that when I get excited, it gets scratchy and you know, it, everyone's first game, like I'll never want to see footage of my first game ever again. It was just horrendous. <laughs> my first ever game. But the reason why I ask you that Peyton is because two days before that Harrison reminded me of this two days before that. I interviewed Harrison because that was what December or January of of uh, seventeen eighteen season, right? Or eighteen nineteen was, season? Uh, I came in January of nineteen. Okay, so Harrison had told me when I first met him, he's like, "Yeah, you know," because I told him I had the podcast, and 
He's like, oh, you know, I've, I've done stuff for NHL Network before and whatnot. And I'm like, okay. So he's a college hockey guy, knows all about the game. I had him on my show two days before that you did your first, uh, you did your first game. And he told me that he was in, uh, talked about how he was in Huntsville the weekend before. So, so the first time that I did Har- had Harrison on the show was right before you did your first game for UAH. A little bit of a cute little story that Harrison reminded me of. It's a good luck charm. I would, I would say so. I mean, I, I think the interview went well with Harrison. Um, then again, he's, he's liked me enough to actually bring me on and, you know, put his job on the line by giving me a microphone for a Ferris game. So I guess, uh, either his job's not worth it or I'm actually decent at this thing. But then again, I, I don't think so. I just, I like to, I mean, you know, I'm in it for the money. That's what I'm in it for. Actually. You know, the, the big bucks. We <laughs> don't quit your day job, pal. <laughs> I, I I can't. The wife won't let me. Um, oh boy! Um, but it's been it's it's been a great time. So I guess you know the big question here is because let's let's talk a little bit, Peyton, about your your role with Penalty Box Radio because it's an interesting deal because you know it really focuses on Southern hockey, which doesn't get a lot of recognition by I guess you could say the Northeastern folks. You know, folks that are traditionalists because hey, hockey's in cold weather. That's where it's at. You know, Penalty Box Radio is an interesting deal because they do a lot of Predators coverage, but more than that as well, they do a lot of, you know, just college hockey coverage, including the SEC Hockey Conference. Yeah, absolutely. It it all started around, well, uh, Justin Brappert again. He's the one that runs the show. He and uh, Ben Butzbach, who unfortunately is no longer with us, God rest his soul, but uh, I think it was around 2012 they established Penalty Box Radio and they wanted to cover the Preds and whatnot. And then the lockout happened. And so they're like, well, what are we going to do? And it just spurned them to check out what other hockey existed in the South. And they realized, well, you know, there's more to it than just Predators hockey. And and so they started covering uh, UAH hockey and going around and finding, I think they even went to the Corpus Christi, Texas junior team. I mean, they, they went all around. And I think that helped Justin realize that, you know, there there is more hockey in the South and, there's something to be said about how hockey is developed in the South. And so he started covering uh, Vanderbilt hockey and, and then, um, and then he became the media coordinator for the SECHC and now he's the commissioner. And uh, I think it was 2014, maybe 2015 when the first um, SECHC tournament was played in Nashville. And back then, to me, the SECHC was sort of like glorified beer league. At least that's how it looked on the ice. And it has just been incredible how much uh, it's developed. When you go to the SECHC tournament, I mean, there's so much skill and physicality. And it's like these guys really are playing for something. And it's I, I'd say that the SECHC tournament is the most fun thing I do every year. I've been blessed to, to call the championship game two years in a row now. And I, I wish you know people would, would either come down or at least watch the live streams because they just really have no idea until they see it how, how great and how fun it is to watch um, SECHC hockey. And, and credit to Justin Bradford, who's really been at the forefront of raising awareness for it. So, yeah, I went from, like I said, with Penny Box Radio, I, I started with the Nashville Junior Predators and then um, helped them cover the Scholar Shootout and the SECHC tournaments. And then when the Junior Predators program folded in 2017, the NA3HL team 
um, I was wondering what the heck I was going to do then and started covering Vanderbilt hockey more. And, and, and thankfully I still had a, a home for, um, to, to broadcast in until finally I got the UAH gig. It, you know, it's, it's funny cause everyone, you know, they, there is a certain knock on club college hockey and I, I'm sure you've kind of seen that too. And it is definitely for a lot of players, you know, just an opportunity to continue their playing career. And that's what I ended up doing myself. And, but it's still great hockey. I mean, heck, you just go up the road a little bit up over there in Virginia. Shoot, Liberty treats it like it's a Division One college team. I mean, it's still great hockey, you know, even though that it is not considered a varsity. And I've never seen people hit so hard. <laughs> like, there's no tomorrow. It, it's almost like the best way I described it was imagine a like a junior league, except, you know, a little bit older because – I mean, of course, you know, doing NCAA games, you see like players get a lot more with the hacking and slashing, but there's just reckless abandonment with the physical play sometimes with some of these games that I see. Like I remember like doing some Davenport games when Davenport plays Hope because that's a big crosstown rivalry up here. And it just, you, no matter what the score, it can be 10 nothing, it can be 4-3. If somebody gets hit hard, chaos ensues and for a broadcaster it's fun but for the referees it's an absolute miserable pain well it's funny too because when i would broadcast at ford ice center antioch i would broadcast from the penalty box and you know when something like that happens it's just so funny to see the officials sit there with the scorekeeper and try to jot everything down and you've got just crowds of people in both penalty boxes both cussing and screaming at each other which of of course a few of those choice words made it on the air a handful of times but uh there's nothing quite like college club hockey and there's certainly no lack of passion or entertainment it's it oh man i tell you i've i've been in some interesting ones because up here at uh adrian college which is a division three team but one of their we were playing their acha team and it was one of the road games i did this year and it's so small that the press box is right like maybe four or five rows from the penalty box and there was one game where there was a lot of lot of john back and forth and there was even the adrian women's lacrosse team there chirping our players and i'm sitting there saying i i remember i just kept talking during breaks just so they may not have heard what was being said because there were some things that you know you just you just don't you know you know it'll scare the kids at home you know with some of the chirps and and it's funny because I was listening to 31 Thoughts this past week and they were talking, you know, with a couple with Shirelli and Kyle Buskakis from Buskakis, excuse me, from Hockey Night in Canada. And they were talking about, you know, getting mics on the ice. And I'm just like, from a former player, I'm like, that's that could be a mistake. You can do that if uh, you put it on HBO or something like that. But, oh, yeah, because uh, definitely not NBC. SN. No, there, there'll be a lot of things that'll be said regardless. I mean, even I mean, shoot. You may not even need the mics on the ice. I mean, there'll be such an echo in the building that somehow, some way, it'll get into Doc Emmerich's mic or Jim Houston's mic, and it'll scare the. It'll it'll be bad. Shoot, there was one. I forget what game it was. There was two players that you know dropped you know the the uh, the the super hydraulic instantaneous transporter word a couple times right back to back, and that caught the air. And I'm just like, well, at least they didn't hide it. They just went along with it. But. Let me ask you this. What do you think of the idea of using the scratch players as uh, cheering sections? Well, shoot. I, so are, are you a wrestling fan at all, Peyton? Also, no, I, maybe at a younger age, but definitely not now. So 
I've I don't follow it as much as I used to, but I still get like the the Facebook and the Twitter posts, and they're like the matches now that they're doing. They're obviously in the performance center down in Orlando in front of no crowd, but they're able to have their like they have their NXT, like their real rookies down there, and they just throw them in the crowd and have them be the fans. And I'm just like, man, you're just scraping the bottom of the barrel, but heck, why not? I mean, those guys, I mean, shoot, they're going to have more scratches allowed just because of the scenario, but why not just grab, you know, Hey, Jeremy Bracco for the Leafs, just, yay, hey, you're not going to play this entire time, but, you know, yell and scream as loud as you can. I'm like, all right, hey, give it your all, I guess. It would be interesting for sure, but we know that the NHL just won't let the full amount of fun happen. So I doubt I see it, you know, I, I doubt we see that happen. I'm just glad there's going to be hot. Well, excuse me. I'm glad there's a plan to play hockey. There's obviously a lot that could happen between now and July. So, I mean, what's. I love how everyone's like, yes, there's going to be hockey and everyone's doing playoff previews and stuff like that. And I'm like, you know, it may not happen still, right? There's still a chance. So that's, that's my, I, some people call it pessimistic. I like to think it's, you know, a little realistic just because realistic for sure. <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that's the one perk of having or perks of having, you know, being married to a nurse and coming her, herself coming from a nurse family is that I get the lowdown and everything. And it's going to be a while before we get through this. So it's just like, all right, well, if they can figure out to do it safely, Absolutely, but if it doesn't happen, I won't be too surprised, I guess, unfortunately. Well, let's just pray and hope it happens, you know, and I know we don't want, obviously we don't want a second coronavirus wave, but, you know, it's more likely to happen. Hopefully, it, you know, it stays off until we get the, the season completed for sure. All right, I hope so too. I hope so. So we just got to wait till September, late September. All right, a couple be awarded, and then you can do it. Because obviously we have, <laughs> we'll have four or five months for the offseason after that. If well, we've learned anything, we know that coronavirus is definitely not a hockey fan. Not at all. Not a sports fan for that matter, unfortunately. I'm surprised. <laughs> I mean, you would think, you know, get everyone together, and that would be the thing you'd want to happen. But. I digress. Peyton, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It's been a pleasure talking to you. Folks, we'll put the link to Penalty Box Radio, in particular Peyton's profile on there, and catch Peyton next season for the Chargers play-by-play as at least God willing that we have a season next year because everyone's planning to. I'm planning that we have a season next year because college hockey will, will ride on, even in Alabama. God willing indeed. Thanks for having me, Tyler. I appreciate it. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Peyton. Thank you, bud. And once again, a huge thank you to Peyton Turnage coming on the show. Obviously, a great chat with him. And, you know, him and I actually talked a little bit before and a little bit after. And, you know, we kind of got our similarities. We're both big NASCAR fans, love stock car racing, love IndyCar racing. So we had a little chat about that. I know some people be like, oh, that'd be interesting. I know a lot of you hockey fans probably aren't the biggest racing fans. I understand that. I like it. It's fast. It's like hockey. They both go extremely fast. And, my goodness, I'm trying to think of who it was because back in the 90s, there was a a driver that drove an NHL truck in the Craftsman series, and I don't remember who it was. I'm trying to look it up right now, and as I can, if, I, if I can get it right here, as I click and look around, it was Lance Norick. That's the gentleman's name, and 
he had an NHL sponsored truck in the nineties. And looking at it, it's so slick. I used to have the toy car itself and that was one of my favorite cars. I didn't know who drove it. You know, it, it's funny because actually, if you even look more into it, it was a Dodge pickup truck in the crash, the then craftsman truck series. The whole rig was tricked out in NASCAR gear. It, it's so cool to look at, look at it and seeing what it looks like and whatnot, because it's such a, you know, a cool truck. And he drove in the craftsman truck series. He started in 1996. His last was in 2002, but the sponsorship began in 1997 and then they came back the following year. And it's just, it's such a cool truck to look at. I, I say everyone go online to look it up. I don't know where the stock, I'm pretty sure it's in storage somewhere with the rest of my hot wheels, NASCARs and all those other little toys I had when I was a kid because it was just such a cool looking truck. I mean, it was, it just, it just said nineties. Cause first of all, I had the, the coolest game on earth slogan that the league was using at the time. I mean, it was an absolutely perfect truck, but now we'll go back to the pro game, the NHL game. We're talking, you know, looking forward to these proposed playoffs, the proposed 2014 playoff format. And one of the two teams that initially said no were the Tampa Bay Lightning, along with Carolina. Tampa Bay was probably the biggest just because of their standing in the league, the second-best team in the Atlantic Division and one of the teams that can actually contest with the Boston Bruins. Everyone was kind of curious why they would even you know, say no to a playoff format and say no to returning to hockey. But we wanted to get a deeper dive into it, not just that story in itself, but the team as a whole. And that's where we were able to talk to Justin Godfrey from Raw Charge. And he'll be coming up next here on the Kuehl Podcast. Now joining us here on the Kuehl Podcast, he is one of the writers covering the Tampa Bay Lightning for Raw Charge on SB Nation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Justin Godfrey. Justin, how are you doing today, sir? Pretty good, sir. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. So how have all the way from Salt Lake, Utah, by the way, Salt Lake City, Utah, by the way, how have you been adapting to this whole coronavirus pandemic deal? Well, I, it's been uh, interesting. Um, a lot of it was uh, I took a little break from writing for a while. Uh, I was covering the NHL for the for Raw Charge, covering the Crunch a little bit. And uh, so as soon as they suspended their season, took a took a week or so off, kind of uh, adjusted to a new life. And then got back into it. Uh, one of the nice things about living in Salt Lake is there aren't a lot of people out of here. So we've had pretty relaxed, um, pretty relaxed coronavirus rules here. We're able to get out, do some hiking, slowly starting to get back into the hockey business now that it looks like we have some sort of plan moving forward. Yeah, just it's all I mean, I, I remember I was talking to someone earlier. It's all hypothetical, but at least it's optimistic, which right now with the world we have is probably the best news we have. And Tampa Bay this season has compared to years past, it looks like a down year. They're not dominating the Eastern Conference. They'd won the President's Trophy the last two seasons, but this year they're falling back, currently sitting second in the Atlantic. They're one of the four teams that'll be in that round robin during the 2014 proposed playoff format. How would you compare this season of the Lightning to years past? It's actually, honestly, in my opinion, not too bad of a season. Um, they got 92 points in, you know, by the time the season stopped. Uh, 43 wins. 
anything after last season was going to be a disappointment. So kind of comparing the two seasons is is tough just because it's such a record season the year before. They got off to a slow start, really inconsistent start. Um, then caught fire about midway through December. I think they got points for, it seemed like for two months straight, they were racking up points every night. Really called their way back into the uh, race. I don't think they would have caught the, the Bruins, but they were comfortably in second place. Um, you know, looking forward to a matchup with the Maple Leafs in the playoffs if things had uh, progressed normally. Yeah, that... they they, yeah, they probably would have had 100 points, honestly, by the end of the end of the year. Um, they had 12 games left, I think, off the top of my head. I know two of them were against Detroit. They had the Devils and Ottawa still on their schedule. So the entire year has been playing for the postseason. Uh, after last year's disappointment, you know, I think any Lightning fan you talk to, I wouldn't say the regular season was going to be meaningless, but nothing was really going to matter until they got back to the playoffs. It was nice to see them get out of their early funk and just kind of move forward and play pretty well towards the end of the season. It's so strange because something we've talked about on the show all the time is, and I remember when Tampa hit 62 wins last year, I said, congratulations, Tampa. You are the 2020 Stanley Cup champions because, you know, growing up here in Michigan, a lot of people remember the 95-96 Wings team team wins 62 games president's trophy winner odds on favor to win the cup and they lose to colorado in the conference final <laughs> and then the next year they fall back a little bit i think they finish second or third in the conference and they end up you know having to work their way through the playoffs but it actually helped them to fall back and to lose the year before after such a great year so it's almost a positive thing for the team to i guess have less pressure to worry about the regular season, but obviously it's when in the postseason in the playoffs when it matters most. Yeah, definitely. And um, I think that was kind of the approach they were taking this year. Some of the interviews that uh, John Cooper had, the coach, um, you know, of course he wants to win, but, uh, you know, they, they were working more on fundamentals on their systems. Um, if you look at some of their off-season pickups, they kind of got away. I mean, one thing about that team last year, it was so heavy. Um, they could basically outscore their problems. And uh, it, that kind of caught up to them in the playoffs where they slumped a little bit, had a couple key players out, and you know, Columbus just shut them down offensively and they couldn't adjust. So they went out. You know, they had Kevin Shattenkirk basically dropped in their laps for you know almost free. They picked up Pat Maroon in the offseason. And then at the deadline, they pick up Blake Coleman and uh, Barkley Goodrow. You know, not exactly a high-powered offensive people but you know players that are renowned for playing for you know for whatever you want to say playing the game the right way the entire 200 foot game and just making it a more in-depth team and that's kind of what they had trended to anytime you have Stamkos you know Nikita Kucherov on the team you're going to score goals so offense has never been their problem but they've definitely improved their defensive play the entire team this year yeah, I mean, you talk about Nikita Kucherov, and obviously the pickups are big. You know, the guys like Blake Coleman, guys that are grinders. You need those guys, especially when you go up against a team like Boston. But you talk about Kucherov. He had 128 points last year. Wasn't at, I mean, I think he was just a hair under that pace this season, scoring 85 points in 68 games that he played in. But he's still leading the Bolts in scoring, leading them in offense. And yes, he plays a lot with Stamkos, but. Has he kind of taken over that role as the top guy in Tampa? Because Stamkos was it for so long, but now it's looking like the torch is getting passed to the younger Kucherov. 
Yeah, I would definitely say he's a guy who drives the play um, in Tampa right now. Stamkos is, you know, Stamkos is going in the Hall of Fame, and I'll argue anybody who says he's not. Um, but right now, as important as he is as the team, as a leader, as the captain, uh, Kucherov's the engine that drives the team, definitely. Uh, I know I don't delve too far into the analytics, but some of the other guys and uh, gals on the team that are on the well-charged staff that do, you know, everything shows that he drives the play, whatever line he plays on. It happened back when he came in and he had the original triplets line with Tyler Johnson, Andre Palat, Kucherov. It was, it was Kucherov driving the play. And as he's moved up, he still does it. Uh, he's their focal point on the power play. He's their offense guy. And, you know, he doesn't get a lot of credit for it, but he's actually not a bad defensive player. And- uh, plus minus is a stat you can take or leave, but you know, Guys puts up great numbers all across the board. Every once in a while, attitude-wise, maybe not the best. He does get into funks from time to time where he's he's passing the puck a little bit more than he probably should. But is that a horrible thing to do when you're passing it to Braden Point or Steven Stamkos? Probably not. Yeah, that's that's probably, you know, if, if that's your options, like, oh, I can shoot this puck or I can give it to the sniper like Stamkos or another great score like point, or drop it back for Victor Hedman, who's got a good shot or something. I mean, that team is so stacked, and that's why last year was such a disappointment because they were so good, but now they're able to take a step back. And, you know, it's funny, going back to those Red Wings teams in the 90s, it's it's so eerily similar. You have, you know, your captain, Steven Stamkos, you know, the right-handed shot was big scoring, offensive presence when he was younger, scoring over 60 goals. And then all of a sudden, this younger Russian kid kind of comes up and, you know, Stamkos plays a two-way game. So it's almost like Iserman to Fedorov as Stamkos is to Kucherov. So I, I don't know if that's, I think that's, I would think that's some pretty high praise for those two kind of players. Yeah, definitely. You know, it comes full circle with, you know, Stamkos having the last few years with, you know, Iserman as his GM before he moved over to Detroit. And I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things where as Stamkos has matured, he's changed his game, and he still has that, um, that lethal shot from the, from the circle, but he has become more of a leader, and he has worked on his face-offs, and he's worked on his defensive game, and that provides a space for Kucherov to, to do what he does. And, you know, people in Tampa from time to time get down on Kucherov if he's in a slump, and they question his effort, which is something I'll never do, you know, based on some of the stuff we've, we've learned about him. And he's just not an emotional guy, so... You know, if to dive really deep into Tampa sports, he reminds me a lot of BJ Upton played for the Rays. Sometimes these guys make it look so easy that you don't realize how hard they're actually working at it. And the big story before, I think two years ago, was you know Kucherov stays in Tampa, builds an artificial ice at his house, and then spends every day taking 100 slap shots, you know, 100 shots, just to improve on what was already a great season that he had the year before. It, he's only 26, so hopefully many good years ahead. Yeah, all you got to do now is just not be like Fedorov and ask for too much money because that ruined the Red Wings dynasty, but I digress. Well, he's, he's locked in making pretty good money for a while, so I don't think that's going to be a problem. So. And he probably will never date Anna Kornikova, but you know, history <laughs> history tends to repeat itself sometimes. But the, the team itself is so deep at times. But then you see a guy like Andre Vasilevsky, and you know he's a year removed from the Vesna caliber season. And 
you know, his numbers aren't as good as they were last year. But then again, you know, the Tampa Bay in general, after such a great year, it had to go down a little bit. But it seems like Vasilevsky's dropped the most, at least from the goaltending perspective, because there's a lot of goaltenders that have better numbers than him. How would you grade Andre Vasilevsky this season here for Tampa? Uh, this season, I would say the first half, and he would be probably one to agree with it. He was an extremely average if not below average goaltender for probably the first half of the year through, through December. So he's picked up his play after that. Uh, we actually posted an article trying to find, we literally sat in a Slack meeting trying to come up with a hundred excuses for him as to why his numbers weren't so good. You know, was it the defense in front of him? Was it, what was it? And after crunching all the numbers, we posted an article saying, Hey, he's just given up goals. You know, it's as simple as that. He's not having a great year. And then he runs off and doesn't lose for the next two months. You know, it's the way it happens. But early on, he was having trouble to actually, one of the things he admitted, he was having trouble adjusting to fewer shots a game. Um, early in his career, Tampa's defense being what it was, he faced a lot of shots and he enjoyed that. And they kind of tightened down things, especially shots from high danger areas. And, he, he admitted he had problems. His mind would wander during the game. So it was something he worked on with the coaching staff, uh, just ways to kind of keep his focus throughout the game. And we feel a lot better about him now. He's, he's still a, kind of a streaky goalie, but the entire team, honestly, is kind of a streaky team when you look at him. But uh, I would say right now, he's, I would take him in the top 10 as far as goaltenders in the league. I think he's, he's smart enough. He works hard. He understands what his flaws are, which sometimes is the toughest problem with a player. And, you know, to have him for the next five, six years at nine and a half million dollars, eh, I'll take it. Nobody else in the system is doing better than he is, so. Yeah, and we'll we'll talk a little bit about the, the crunch here in a little bit, because obviously, like you said, that is your your strength with raw charge. And and it's funny because, you know, think of a goaltender, like my as a former goaltender myself, when you're so used to having your team dominate game in and game out, like the Lightning were last year, you're able to kind of, you know, just kind of relax a little bit. But now he's kind of getting a little bit more of a workload. And it's good to see him adjust that because some goaltenders are just not able to recover. Some, especially younger goaltenders. So seeing him able to kind of, you know, bear down and be a little more resilient, if you will, to come back to be a top goaltender, that's huge. And especially going into the playoffs, which... You know, right now is kind of interesting because obviously Tampa's in that top four spot and nobody's really sure of exactly what is going to happen given, you know, because there's a round robin for those four teams for Boston and Tampa and Washington and Philadelphia, which I'm still just have to (laughs) I have to pinch myself and tell myself, yes, Philadelphia is not just in the playoffs, but they are one of the top teams in the playoffs. Right. But, you know, did Tampa kind of get, you know, did Tampa do the right thing by voting no? You know, why do you think the Lightning don't like the system that they are placed in here in this 2014 playoff format? I think, and they've been pretty upfront with it. Uh, Alex Killorn's their player rep, and he did a couple of interviews right after, and actually right before the vote, um, where he had some, you know, he brought up some of the issues that the team had. Mostly it's, you know, and at the same time where they admit they voted no, they also admit that there's no 100% fair way to, to come back from something like this. And uh, their biggest thing was the momentum, you know, the momentum of the, the teams that are doing the play-in. 
they're either playing a five or seven game series of life or death games. Well, as these buy, these teams of the buy are sitting around, yes, they're playing each other, but what's the level of competition going to be? Uh, that was one of their um, issues with it. Their other one was, uh, you know, a team like the Canadians or a team like the Blackhawks that, you know, did they have a shot at the playoffs? Yeah, they did. But now they have a, you know, a much better shot at making it to what I guess the NHL is defining the playoffs, the final 16 team, uh, teams, excuse me. And um, he didn't think that was great. Or I, I shouldn't say he, uh, the team didn't think that was great. Uh, but uh, again, they admitted that there is no perfect solution to this. I think that's part of the reason why the league itself hasn't decided that first rounds would be five or seven games yet. Um, you know, seven games would give the, the quote unquote better team a little bit more of an advantage and not see some of those upsets. And so whenever they figure that out, we'll see what the next step is after that. Uh, and one other thing is, I think that they were hoping for some sort of regular season games before um, the playoffs started or the postseason, whatever they're calling it now, just because coming out of training camp, it's not going to be, I don't think those first few games are going to be great hockey. Um, these guys have, haven't been on skates for what, three months now, four months. And for most of the players, they probably haven't gone this long in their life without skating this long. So even when they do go to phase two and then they start working out and then a two or three week training camp, it's still going to be pretty choppy hockey to begin with. And I think he was one of the guys who wanted to see a couple of less consequential games to, to get the rhythm and flow back. So I think those are their top objections, but they all say they're happy to play. The, the Lightning kind of have an advantage that most of their team is in Tampa. So once those uh, workouts start, they should be able to get rolling pretty quickly. Well, we all saw that pretty early on with that with that great Twitter, the great hype video that they that the yeah. team posted shortly after. And I'm like, man, for a team that really does not want to be in this playoff format, they look yeah. they look pretty happy to be back. And you know, it's funny. I'm like, man, this is this should be Tampa Bay's recruitment video right here. Yeah, yeah. You just get up and go to the rink on your on your wave runner, your sea do. Exactly, and uh, yeah, it's. it's you know, he's, his whole Doc Talk series has been really interesting where he just goes around and, and, you know, talks with different players, different people in the community from a jet ski. And, yeah, that's that's got to be a selling point for the Lightning. And I know that's what I – that's the joke with Arizona State's uh, – their college hockey team. They always <laughs> say, what's – well, how does Arizona State recruit players? Hey, would you like to show up to practice in shorts? Yeah, there you go. Exactly. That's, that's a good selling yeah. point. But, you know – I, I wonder a little bit of a sidetrack question here, Justin. I, I I wonder if that this current playoff format, because in within next year with Seattle coming in, we'll have 32 teams, which means if we went back to the 16 team playoff format, we would be at a pass where we'd have half the league miss the playoffs. Contrary to 20 years ago in the nineties, when only seven or eight teams would miss the playoffs. Do you think if there is some way a successful, if this kind of works out and is intriguing to the fans, that the NHL will look at this and say, Hey, we should try something like this more often. And maybe, cause then at that point, 24 teams, only eight will miss the playoffs with the 32 team league. Do you think this is something that they, if it's successful, of course, and if we play it, of course, do you think this is something the league will actually consider doing forward, even with a full season? I would say I do. I do think, you know, this is the perfect time to try out some stuff that may have been in the back of the league's mind for a while. Um, I could see some sort of play in. I don't know if it'd be 24 teams, 
you know, there's a way to work it out where almost kind of to an NFL schedule where you get some wild card teams playing in for final spots. Um, and can, or I guess MLB would be a little bit better um, comparison since they do consider it postseason. You know, those, those play in games right before the wild card round. And honestly, it's another way to generate more revenue, which when it all boils down, that's what the league and the players are looking for. You know, if they can maybe exchange some regular season games, shorten the regular season and add a round or two of playoff games. And that's going to generate more money for them, ad revenue, ticket revenue, more money for them to split. So I wouldn't be surprised at all to see them expand the playoffs. Um, probably the lineup of the next CBA, I would think. You know, it's, it's funny because I would think that the play-in series, the first one that we're about to experience in, you know, the Leafs and Jackets and, you know, Florida in there, you think that'd be more of a three game series. So at least each team would be able to get a home game in. And, you know, that's their, you know, their 42nd game of the season. I think that I would personally think that'd be a little bit better just so it's a shorter series, similar to the major league baseball. They have the one game wild card playoff. Yeah. Cause you know, the NHL, if it was one game, I, it would <laughs> ever, there would be no way the players would agree to that just because anything yeah. can happen in one game, at least in three, in a best of three, you could at least have one game to try to get it back. But obviously I'm not part of the board of governors. <laughs> if not, the league would be the most profitable thing known to man, but I digress. There you go. <laughs> There's funny, my... there, was a, yeah. there was a moment. Uh, I was still, I was at work, the, the good old day job and the, the league had just suspended and, you know, that first round of what are they going to do? And I had, I had planned out a 30, what, 31 team bracket system, first two rounds, single elimination, every team's in and go from there. I thought it would have been beautiful chaos, but you know, eh, they didn't listen to my email. So, you know, it'd be beautiful. It'd be beautiful chaos when Detroit would beat like Tampa in the first round. I'm sure that would be exactly what would happen. So, yeah. My gosh, you'd have them be like UMBC <laughs> knocking off Duke and be the, or Virginia. It'd be the most ridiculous yeah. thing ever. Dylan Larkin scores two goals somehow. Jimmy Howard doesn't pull his groin and they actually win the game. It'd be unbelievable. It, it well, would be, yeah. It'd be Adam Ernie scoring the game winning goal since, you know, the Lightning basically traded him to the Red Wings for nothing. So, oh my gosh, of course. That's how, that's how hockey yeah. works. I mean, shoot. <laughs> I mean, I'm a Leafs fan, die hard now, and I just, I can give you stories of players just coming back and just absolutely torching the Leafs. Peter Holland scored yeah. an overtime winner. Peter Holland, who was excommunicated by Babcock. Of course, like that's just, that's how the lovely game works. Exactly. So, so now going back to, the current playoff format and the current idea. And once again, this is all obviously in theory because we still have to see what's going forward. And it seems like things are looking up in terms of that. Cause here in Michigan, we actually just had our stay at home order cut short first for most businesses like restaurants can right. open, people can go out and stuff, which is obviously a positive sign because Michigan was up there with the number of high cases in this COVID pandemic. But now obviously it's going to seem like it's going to happen. They have a plan. Tampa in that round robin, playing teams like Washington, Philadelphia, and Boston. And I know people are going to be looking at it because it's just one game against each, just three games for those teams. How do you, what, what is your idea? What is your strategy, I guess, if you're Tampa to, I guess, get ready for these games? You know, you know, even though some players say, hey, they're worthless games, but hey, if they do their, if they do end up doing re, like they reseed after the the play in round, if you if Tampa wins, you know two out of three or all three of those games, all of a sudden they're playing the worst team coming in and they have the better odds. You know, do you 
want to go full tilt if you're the Lightning in those three games, or do you kind of just, hey, let's just prepare just for whoever we play? Yeah, I, I mean, that's a decision. That's probably what's keeping Cooper, you know, Coach Cooper up at night right now is how hard do you go in those first three games? If, if you're a Lightning fan, and you, you couldn't pick three opponents that probably generate more dislike or disdain than Washington, Philly, and and um, was, I just blanked on the last one, Boston. Yeah, of all teams to forget, Boston. I mean, those are three teams that over the years, um, Lightning fans have grown to not like very much but uh i think you have to and you have to play to win the you know there's no home ice advantage this year but i do think you know you want to give yourself the best odds possible in in a year where there are really no favorites to win i think at this point because everyone's pretty much starting from ground zero as as rough as the early play is going to be i think one of the advantages to this is that Unlike most seasons where teams are, you know, 80% of a team seems to be nursing some injury, you're going to have a relatively healthy competition, um, which speaks volumes to the lighting. I mean, they, they were looking at starting the first round without Steven Stankos. Uh, Victor Hedman had been hurt right before the break. Um, Eric Chernak, one of their defense defensemen or depth defensemen, was a little banged up. So the lighting are looking at going to this at 100% health wise. So I think they just got to go for it and try and pull off that number one seed and then take it from there. You know, with really the exception of Washington, where they went 0-2-1 in the three games against the Caps, the Lightning have a pretty good setup. I'm using my my good uh, reference, quote-unquote, in HockeyReference.com, and where they went 3-1 and against Boston this year, did the Lightning. And then against Philadelphia, they went 2-0. and I mean, that's not a bad, you know, That's I'm not saying that's two wins, because obviously, like I said, it's right. just one game. Anything can happen, but you know, the odds seem like they're in Tampa's favor, which, you know, will set them up for round, you know, the I guess you'd say the first round of the playoffs. And, you know, who knows what after that. But do you think that this Tampa team, after losing last year, after kind of, like I said, coming through a stumbling start to this season, do you believe that this team is more grizzled and more determined to be there for the last game of the NHL season? Do you think this team has a chance to win the Stanley Cup? I do. I, I think, you know, and this isn't just me being, you know, someone who writes about the team. I, I, I do think you have to put them down as one of the favorites to win this entire thing. Their depth on forward is is unbelievable. I mean, they can roll. If, if it gets down to it, they can roll three lines that can score. Uh, not, not at will, but on a pretty regular basis. Um, their biggest flaw, one of the things that hurt them the most last year was their lack of depth on defense. Uh, they rectified that. Uh, you have McDonough, Ryan McDonough, you have Victor Hedman. Uh, Mikhail Sergachev has come into his own this year as as an offensive threat as well as someone who's responsible in his own zone. So when it gets down to it, they learned a lot from last year. I think they were a little overconfident. Uh, Coach Cooper admitted that he didn't realize how rattled they were after they lost that first game after being up 3 nothing. So it took a little while to adjust. I mean, that's stuff that they learned from last year. They've learned how to play a tighter defensive game. They know they can't rely on their power play to to win in the postseason. These are all things that, you know, they've picked up from the last year. They are a different team than what people are used to seeing them as. So I would, you know, you know I am five hours from Vegas. I don't know if I'm going to drive down and put my money on them or not. But, you know, if someone asked me, I would say you'd have to think that they'd be a favorite. 
you know, if you're going to go to Vegas, and I've learned this in horse racing, if you're ever going to put money down on a horse in a race, you put 10 bucks down on the worst odds. So you, obviously, you got to be picking either Florida or Arizona to win this thing if you're willing to put money down on it because it's five bucks, and next thing you know, you're making five grand, probably. I mean, yeah, I don't, you're talking to a guy who's sitting on a $10. Uh, Bet for the Orioles, the Baltimore Orioles to win the World Series this year. So I, I'm not averse to betting on long shots. Boy, I, I'll say this right now: if the Orioles jump, that was like the worst part about because I'm a Jays fan as well. And just seeing okay. any time the Orioles beat the Jays, you know, because I, I get it, the Jays, the pitching staff's kind of weak, and that's why we're hoping this season gets going because we're supposed to have a revitalized pitching staff and whatnot. Hopefully, the the ghost of 2015 comes flying out for us, but. Every time last year we lose to Baltimore, and I'm like, are we really that bad? <laughs> just like, it's just it's like losing to Detroit, Detroit and yeah. Baltimore, two teams that nobody should lose to. My junior varsity high school baseball team could compete against the <laughs> Orioles and the Tigers, but I I'm I mean I'm hoping for baseball. Shoot, I'm hoping for anything. That's why I'm like, yeah. All right, yeah. if if you have hockey and baseball start at the exact same time though, the That'll, I mean, at least it'll be the playoffs, so I have more of an obligation for that, but it'll be tough for the NHL to win those ratings, unfortunately. Yeah, it's, yeah we're going to have to kind of, you know, pace ourselves a little bit when sports do come back, you know, if they all come back at the same time. Uh, you know, personally, I think the NBA will probably be back first, and then, then you'll see hockey play, and if, you know, Major League Baseball can figure out the money. I think that's the only thing really holding them up at this point is uh, figuring out the money. They'll come back. Football's going to do what football wants to do, and, October, November could be really exciting for sports fans. It's well, the way it's all setting up right now, it's almost as if we're going to carry into football season. Cause I know there's talks. If they do start mid to late July, they should be able to get it done by mid to late September, I guess. And I heard some people say, Hey, you know, I'm by October. Possibly we'll be having a cup parade. And you know what? That's the possibility that we're looking at. That's why the league has come out and said, we may have, the season start either in December or January after Christmas and whatnot. And I'm like, man, that's going to be great. You're going to have hockey. It's going to carry it with baseball and, you know, maybe basketball finish up quickly enough and it's going to jam right into football season. And then it's going to go into hockey season and that's going to be an abbreviated year. And then back to baseball, like there's going to be almost no break for anything. Yep. You know, at least, you know, sometimes there's a little bit of a pause or, you know, you know, kind of catch your breath. But this time it's just full tilt 365 days. Cause then again, we've been sitting on our, you know, our keisters for the last three months. So we've been, we've been jonesing for something like that. And, you know, talking yeah. about jonesing, I'm sure everyone, Mr. Justin, are be, are hoping and ready to hear some more about the AHL as well, because okay. I, I, myself being from Grand Rapids, I've, you know, followed the Griffins my entire life. And obviously the league has a little bit of uncertainty too, and how they're going to operate. Obviously it's going to be a different kind of schedule, less travel for a lot of these teams, then again, not many teams do a lot of traveling outside their division anyways, but it'll be even less now. And how, how confident are you that the AHL will come back? And if so, in what type of form or what type of changes do you think you're going to see? I do think um, probably going to see a lot shorter of a schedule, probably a little bit later of a start. Um, I know they're going to want to tie it as close as possible to the NHL start just because of the way teams use the HL now with their prospects and everything. They don't want their prospects waiting around or, you know, getting dispersed all across the league. It's really tough. Um, you know, you, you listen to some of the things they say, I know, um, listen to the outgoing commissioner speak a little bit a couple of weeks ago. And 
you know, they're looking for, they're looking to the possibility that some teams may not play next year. Um, if they don't have fans in front of them, that's, and that's the big sticking point is unlike the NHL, the NHL doesn't have TV money coming in. They don't have streaming rights coming in. There's a little bit, but not enough to keep a team, especially an independently owned team like Syracuse, um, financially viable to play these games. So you may see a team sit out next season and then come back the following season when things open back up. Um, other than that, I, I like you said, probably very regional, um, which will be interesting for some of the West Coast teams that do do a lot of travel. It's you know, Syracuse isn't bad. You know, most of their their opponents are within driving distance, bus distance. You know, as much as I hate seeing Utica twenty five times a year, it seems you know it's part of the part of the deal, and it's honestly part of the reasons why the the Lightning affiliated with them back in the day. They had Norfolk as their AHL for a while, and the travel was a little bit more. Uh, they don't. They didn't feel like their their. Uh, they felt like their team was traveling a little bit more. Their prospects were traveling more than they were playing. So they, you know, they hook up with Syracuse, and things are a little bit easier for them. They can keep an eye on them, keep everybody together. So it's going to be AHL can be a tough league, and I think that's minor leagues across all sports. The these sports that rely on ticket revenue for most of their um, incoming revenue, it's going to be tough for them. Yeah, I actually had a conversation with Jason Shaver a couple weeks back, and we were just, you know, spitballing, talking around. It's like, you know, what do you think is going to happen? Because, you know, that he works for the Chicago Wolves, another independent team, and up here in Grand Rapids, we have Dan DeVos. Now, albeit DeVos owns Amway, so money may not be an issue for them. But, you know, 17 teams in the AHL are owned by the NHL clubs, which means almost half of the league is still, you know, up in the air. I mean, now with the Henderson Silver Knights, which – such an original name, I'm sure. Um, they had they, you know, they're owned by the Vegas Golden Knights now, and you know, a lot of these teams are able. Those teams will for sure probably be able to play. That said, though, you know, what teams are we going to see that won't be? And I know that with the Charlotte Checkers, them, their party and their, you know, their partnership with the Carolina Hurricanes. What does that mean for that franchise, and so on and so forth? And it just it seems like there's so much uncertainty. But that said, you know, Syracuse has a little bit of talent coming up. You, we did, you did kind of hint at the fact that they do have a little bit lack of goaltending down there. And unfortunately, since I hope I say his name right, because he's the Latvian wall, uh, Christers Goodlevskis, Goodlevskis. Right. Did I say it right? Close enough. That's, that's what I go with. Christers we go with. Yeah. Yeah. We call him a Latvian wall because he almost beat <laughs> Canada by himself in the Olympics a few years back. Yep. But, you know, ever really since then, there really hasn't been too many prospects that have been noteworthy for the Syracuse crunch in net that said though, down there in Syracuse, who are some of the guys that are kind of right there on the cusp of making it to the big club with Tampa? So the ones you're looking for, actually two of them kind of got called up. Uh, Carter Verhage is a rookie this year for the lightning. Um, a little bit older, bounced around a few organizations, but, uh, led the HL and scoring goal, uh, led the HL and scoring last year, got promoted, stuck with the team. Uh, Mitchell Stevens, a two-way center for the the Crunch and the Lightning, that uh, got called up and stuck on the team. Probably the most intriguing prospect that's still in Syracuse right now. Uh, there's actually two: one offensive, one defensive. Uh, Cal Foot, uh, son of Adam Foot, is uh, probably their top defensive prospect. He's half a year away. Maybe it would have been interesting to see if he'd gotten a call up uh, this year if, if things had um, continued. Uh, 
big guy, physical presence, uh, big on the hockey smarts, which is something that the Lightning always draft for. They always look for hockey uh, IQ. Um, not as physical as his father was, but uh, plays a really smart positional game. So look for him to get caught up probably next year, make his debut in the NHL. And then uh, Alex Barry Bollet, undersized center, dynamite scorer in the QMJHL, um, undrafted free agent by the Lightning two years ago. Yeah, it's the second year in the league. Has come in and he hasn't stopped scoring. Uh, he, he tied with Verhage last year to lead the league in goals. Uh, was a little bit off this year, trying to work a little more in his defensive game, but it started scoring later in the year. Uh, he's uh, probably their defects right now. Uh, Barry Boulay had a little bit of a shot in training camp this year, played in a couple of the scrimmage, uh, preseason games. Didn't look great, honestly. You know, looked a little out of place. Went back, had some issues from time to time. And another one of these where the rumor comes out that, hey, you know, maybe his work ethic isn't where it needs to be. So, but these are young kids still learning to play professionally. So I take that with a grain of salt from time to time, as long as they learn from it. Um, so I would say those are the two big ones. Uh, an interesting prospect. The Lightning don't have a ton of top end high scoring prospects coming through right now. They're focused more on depth players, somebody like an Anthony Sorelli that's on the team now. Teams, uh, players that can really fill in holes. Uh, Boris Kachuk is one of these guys. He started out as a left winger, transitioned to center this year, tremendous penalty killer, has a little offensive pop in his game, going to be one of these guys who comes up. You're not going to read about him scoring 40 goals a year, but he's going to be one of these guys that just doesn't make mistakes on the ice. So. That's kind of where they are depth-wise from the crunch perspective right now. Not having high draft picks kind of bleeds some of that top-end talent. Trading away your number one picks helps with that as well. But, you know, the Lightning are in a win-it-now mode. So I wish I could say there was a goaltender somewhere near, but they're kind of getting by with AHL veterans. Uh, they have a couple guys um, overseas that they're working on that are two, three years away at the best. So it's... You sign Vasilevsky to a long-term deal and hope he doesn't get hurt. You know, I remember when Vasilevsky was drafted, and I that was the lockout year when he went to play for the Russian World Junior Team, the 12-13 lockout, I mean. And I remember watching the – he was in this – he was the, one of the goaltenders for Russia in the Canada-Russia Super Series – the, when they take on the CHL teams, the Russians do. And I was never impressed. And I'm like, man, this is their first overall pick. You know, the other goaltender, Makarov, was better. And I think that was the year also that – was that the year before the year after that they made it to the championship game and Vasilevsky just was not good at all. And I just said to my man, you know, <laughs> is he ever going to – this really going to be their goaltender? Because at that time, they were just getting over Dwayne Rollis and the Lightning were. They right. had just – I think they just moved Mike Smith as well. And then, you know, you, the big question mark for them was their goaltending. I'm like, man, they'll never get it over with. Then they get Ben Bishop. I'm like, okay, he's good. Oh, here comes this Vasilevsky. All right, he'll back up. And then all of a sudden, Bishop pulls his groin. I'm like, all right, well, it's time for Vasilevsky. And he's slowly taken into that role. So that's why I always tell people, I'm like, yeah, don't count out, you know, if he's drafted, like, let him develop a little bit. Because, you know, Vasilevsky is probably that prime example of a guy that, you know, was very good over there overseas in Russia. 
wasn't quite, you know, able to show it on the North American side of things until he got his honest shot. So, you know, with goaltending, it's, it's so tough, especially with young kids. You know, if you ever see, that's why there's so few goaltenders picked in the first round, but that's, that just shows how gutsy Steve Eiserman is. Shoot. He drafted Mo Sider within the first, you know, the top 10 this past year. So he's always willing to go above and beyond for, you know, maybe the most unpopular picks sometimes, but it worked with Vasilevsky. That's for sure. Yeah, and it, it's they've always had a very very solid um, drafting procedure, especially for later rounds. I remember I was actually at the Chicago draft when they drafted uh, Alex Volkov in the second round, and you're sitting here, you know, all these prospects are getting highlight reels and they're showing it on the jumbotron of their best juniors moments, their best overseas moments. You know, the Lightning announced Alex Volkov, and you see the team logo, and they didn't have anything on this guy. And you do a quick search, and the first thing that comes up is some UFC fighter. Then you dig down, you dig down, and you're like, oh, this guy's playing in you know, the, the second-tier Russian professional league. And he turns out to be a pretty, you know, pretty solid prospect. You know, he, had his, he had a couple shots this year. Probably needs a little more seasoning, but their scouting staff is, is really, really solid. Um, there is a running joke that they just, you know, why keep first-round picks because they trade them. I think Vasilevsky is one of the few that's still – I think Vasilevsky and Cal Foot are the only two under the Eiserman era that are Eiserman Julian Brisbois era that are still around. Um, but their philosophy too is, you know, if I develop a guy and I can move him for something that helps the team right now, we're going to do that. And you know, as more and more information comes out on the value of draft picks, if you're constantly drafting in the 15 and below spot in the first round you know, the value of that pick isn't as what it is as a, you know, lottery pick or, you know, top 10 pick. So if you can trade it, if you can trade that pick, if you can trade the, the player you drafted with that pick, who's still three years away for an asset that gets you closer to the Stanley Cup now, then you got to do it. That was part of the thing. You know, there were some people in Tampa that weren't happy that they gave up first round picks for um, Blake Coleman and, and uh, Barkley Goodrow, but you know, those guys help now. They're cheap. They got them for another year. Whoever they drafted, you know, with the 17th or the 22nd overall pick isn't going to come into this team until, you know, three years down the road. And who knows what that team looks like at that point. It's fun. And that's another funny testament to Steve Eisman because shoot the last half of his career. I don't think the Red Wings had a top 15 pick. So it, he's probably like, ah, oh, first round picks are worthless. We're drafting guys in the sixth round <laughs> that are going to make it the seventh round, yeah. the last pick of the draft. Those are the guys that are going to make it in the NHL. <laughs> yeah. We're going to pick up Andre Pollard. I think he was like third from last or something like that. And the guy's going to be a, you know, a solid team contributor for the next 10 years. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's definitely Al Murray's the director of their, um, Amateur scouting, he's done a great job um, with what they've had to work with as far as draft picks. Remember when Eisman first came in, you know, his big thing was we're going to stock up on assets. We're going to get assets, 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 all he talked about. Um, and then, you know, once he got the foundation of his team, you move those assets for, you know, pieces that are going to fill it out, round it out. And that's pretty much what he did before he left. Uh, their GM now, Julian Brisbois learned it from him, continued pretty much the same aspect of how you build a team. You find your core players, you lock them up. You look at Stamkos, Kucherov, Vasilevsky, and Hedman are all locked into long-term deals. They're not going anywhere anytime soon, you know, depending on what happens with the salary cap over the next couple of years, of course. But um, yeah, and that's how you, I think you, you have to stay competitive 
have a running joke with um, one of my buddies here who's a big Penguins fan. And of course, they've never kept the first pick that, you know, the last 20 years. But um, you either have to be really, really good in the NHL or you have to be really, really bad in the NHL. And that's kind of how you build your team. Because if you're stuck in that middle, it's so hard to find cheap talent to, um, you know, to supplement the high price veterans. So you might as well be better off picking, you know, first or third, unless you're the Edmonton Oilers who get lucky what once out of every seven number one draft picks they have. So. Well, yeah, I mean, it, it works for Edmonton getting those high draft picks, but then, you know, you have, you talked about teams in the middle that just never can get anybody. And I'm just like, hello, Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like, do you want to be Minnesota or do you want to be, you know, a team that, yeah, you make a couple runs at the, the playoffs and then you're bad for two years, but you get two really good picks. You know, something like the devils, you know, who knows how long before they're back. You know, they've kind of gone through the Valley a little bit here, but now they've got some talent on their team and, Next year, who knows? Maybe, maybe they realize how good they are and upset some people. Yeah, I, w- I was hoping New Jersey's a little better this year, but then I, I, I remember I said, I'm like, oh, okay, they got PK, so they have another defenseman, and you know Jack Hughes, and and then you know of course Wayne Simmons. I'm like, all right, here we go. This New Jersey team, they'll be there in the playoffs. And then I forgot they don't have a goaltender, and I forgot Jack Hughes is still a kid. You yeah, know, and that. And I will say this right now: it's the, that'll be the last time in the history of the NHL draft. Mark my words that any kid will get drafted number one overall from the National Development Program. Because I will say this: Cole Caulfield, his first year in the league, whenever he gets up to the NHL, will be better than Jack Hughes's first league because he actually decided to develop instead of just jump into the NHL. That's just my right. opinion. Yeah, and that's that's another thing that you know. Another thing that's helped the lightning a little bit, they haven't really rushed their prospects through. Um, they, they learned, they had Brett Connolly the one year, and he had some issues with his junior team out west, and they didn't want to send him back there, so they kept him up, and it just wasn't a great fit. And since then, unless a player like Braden Point, who just, there was like, sorry, we can't find a justifiable reason not to keep him on this team, you know, plays their way through, they're going to let him play in Syracuse for two, three years. You know, they're going to let them find their their um, their game and learn how to play "quote unquote" the Lightning way, which is you know defensive, you know responsible defensively, and play the entire ice and don't take days off, and it helps them out. I mean, and they 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 can roll through third fourth line players no problem whatsoever right now, and not have to go find somebody on the free agent market for three and a half million dollars. You know, they can plug in one of their veterans. That's why we're not overly worried about the upcoming you know, crunch of the salary cap, you probably will see somebody like a Tyler Johnson or maybe Alex Killor moved. Um, but as far as replacing them talent wise, they have that in the, in the, in the system. So. Yeah, there's a lot. Definitely look forward to in Tampa and obviously in the near future with the playoffs coming up. And once again, we are here with our good friend, Justin Godfrey from raw charge. Justin, thank you once again for coming on today and taking the time out of, I'm sure what is a busy schedule for you <laughs> right now. Um, anything we're going to be seeing coming up here on raw charge from you coming here soon. Uh, we're kind of putting our plans together for how we're going to tackle coming back from, um, from the break, the, the pause, if you will. Uh, we do have a lot of great work already out there. Uh, there's a writer we have named Lauren Kelly. Really good with the prospects. She's done a couple pieces for us on the 2021 draft coming in just at a league wide overall. Um, my niche right now, kind of, that the crunch are done, I've been kind of diving back into the Lightning history a little bit. 
got to write a fantastic piece about um, the Duke of Manchester, who was almost the partial owner of the Lightning, and some of the exploits of Phil Esposito putting together the team back in the, the early 90s. Um, our editor, Alan, um, people on Twitter may recognize him uh, under his handle at Loser Points, puts together tremendous, uh, tremendous uh, analytical pieces. He's broken down a few things. Uh, so that's kind of what we're looking forward to. We'll probably have a few pieces on if there is a, you know, expanded roster who might make it for the Lightning and who they're gonna, you know, if they have a shot of actually seeing the ice. And then just kind of previewing the playoffs once we get a, a firmer grip of what's going on. Yeah, definitely can't wait for that. We'll put a link to Justin's profile on Raw Charge on SB Nation here in the description for today's episode. And I will say this. It would be interesting. There's got to be a book that's written about Phil Esposito and the star of the Tampa Bay Lightning because he is just, it's just crazy. Like, obviously, you know, he's a great player, Hall of Famer, you know, legend of the game. The stuff he did as a manager, both even, not just with the Lightning, but back when he was in the 80s with when he was GM of the Rangers, he, he did some interesting things. Not Harold Ballard of the Leafs bad, but like <laughs> things that make you scratch your head. That's for sure. It is definitely entertaining. There's, there's no book out there yet. I can definitely tell you that. Um, he doesn't really get into it too much. He has an autobiography out there. I think it's called Thunder and Lightning. Devotes about a chapter or so to founding the Lightning. Uh, then kind of goes from there a little bit. But, uh, yeah, it, it's just fascinating stuff. You go back, you research one thing, then you, then you see a name about something else, and now you're into that. I mean, of course, I think, Probably he's probably best known for his lightning GM tenureship as far as the, the smudged facts incident with Chris Groton. And, you know, he admits that it was a ploy to try and get at, you know, get the trade up done with, um, with Chicago instead of losing into uh, Philly. But, you know, then you, you find out about, you know, the thing that finds that I find interesting are the players that the lightning almost got a hold of, but were thwarted in the last minutes by some, I mean, Ed Belfour was coming to the lightning at one point. Um, Roman Turk was the big one. They had that that was actually nixed by the uh, Art Williams, who was selling the team at the time. He literally nixed that deal because he didn't want to be on the hook for a million dollars in case he couldn't sell the team. Uh, it's you know, it's just a fascinating, fascinating franchise to follow. Well, for next off season, I have an idea, ladies and gentlemen. An upcoming <laughs> novel here by Justin yeah. Godfrey, Phil Esposito's exploits, the story of the go. Tampa Bay Lightning. <laughs> Justin, thank you once again for coming on. We'll talk to you soon, and hopefully, we'll be talking about some live action going on. I appreciate it, Tyler. Thanks for the call, and uh, yeah, definitely look forward to talking about it. So, all right, Good stay luck safe. With, uh, everything. You too, Justin. Stay safe out there. You too. A big shout-out and a big thank you to Justin Godfrey from Raw Charge and SB Nation. Once again, folks, the link to his profile on Raw Charge is in the description of today's episode. And I remember writing these down because, as I've said before, I am awful at remembering to put these things together. But, you know, these guests come on their show. They take time, and, you know, we try to promote them, give them some love, and they, in turn, give us some love. It's a little give and take. And, you know, the least we could do is at least give you, the listeners, the fans, an an easy access to check these people out. You know, we do that, of course, with Joe Messina and Jeff Lurg, and of course now with Justin Godfrey and Peyton Turnage earlier on in today's show. 
you know, getting these guys in. And it's great to talk to him because, I mean, you fans know what it's sort of like, you know, getting an outside opinion because I can tell you all things that I know about Tampa Bay, how good the team has been, but how, you know, how iffy it's been at times. But, you know, and of course, I love to make the obvious comparison to them in the 90s Detroit Red Wings, as you heard in that interview with Justin. But it's great to get someone that really takes that deeper dive in with the Lightning. And that's where... Justin was such a big help this week, and we'll definitely have him on later. And of course, we're just kind of building our SB Nation following, if you will, of course, having Justin and the likes of Laura Astorian. Of course, we had her on a few weeks ago, and another great chat with Laura. And we'll probably have her on when the playoffs get closer, too. And we'll try to keep bringing on folks that know a little bit more about these playoff teams. And even we'll talk to some of the people that follow the teams that aren't in the playoffs, teams that we're not able to make the cut here in this 2014 playoff format and have to wait for the draft and start to look towards the future and rebuilding. We'll definitely get some of them and get their takes on their respective NHL clubs. But that is it for this week's episode here, folks. Once again, get involved with today's episode. Get in the conversation by using the hashtag the Kuehl Podcast, hashtag TKP. Tweet us at the Kuehl Podcast. What do you think about Peyton's little story, his career up until this point? Obviously a great story and only bright things for the young man broadcasting for Alabama Huntsville and Justin Godfrey's takes on the lightning. And what do you think about his writing as well? Tweet us at the Kuehl Podcast. Tweet at Raw Charge on Twitter as well. Get involved with everyone here. Make sure you tell everyone that you love them. Wait, there needs to be some love here in this world. We need to tell everybody, hey, I love you. You love me. Let's give each other a hug. Well, excuse me, not a hug yet, but you know, give him, show him love and give him an air hug. There you go. Nice six foot away air hug. I think we need that in this world a little bit. Give everyone a compliment. Go up to someone and say, hey, that's a nice shirt you got there. Give them a smile. Spread some peace and some love in this world, guys. How about that? That should be the goal for this week. We'll see you guys next time here on the Cule Podcast. Goodbye. <laughs>